The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we're coming to you live from many places, <laughs> many, many places. I'm coming to you live from home uh, and thrilled to be here and to be safe at home. We're very excited to be here doing a live show with you. This is January 25th, 2021. Who blinks? Like, how did we get to 2021? But I'm very excited to be here with you this morning for various and sundry reasons. Uh, some of which I'll get into and tell you about later on. But I want to make sure that you all know that this show is meant to be interactive. Our favorite thing is when we hear from you. We want to know your thoughts, your feelings, your questions, your concerns. So let's get right down to how can you interact with either the live show or the recorded show, because we know that a lot of you watch us recorded. So uh, let's talk about this. We are live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Periscope. And you can interact directly on any of those platforms. If you write in a question on Facebook, it now shows up right here for me. And I don't have to go to Facebook to look at it. It aggregates it for me. And I can see if you write on Periscope or Twitter or YouTube, which is really fabulous because it makes the interaction easier, I think, for both of us, which is thrilling. But uh, some of you may be watching us recorded. In fact, a lot of you, good morning, Amanda. Uh, a lot of you watch us recorded and that's okay too. In fact, we love it when you go through our archives and see the many things that we've recorded for you in the past. So we're on many different platforms. I will tell you that the two, um, I think most efficient ways to watch us recorded, especially if you're looking for a specific topic is either to go to our YouTube channel and use the search feature there or to go to our homepage where we have a library, kind of looks like Hulu, right? Um, where you can pick topics and you can pick a category or you can put in the search feature, a person that you're looking for that we've done an interview with or a topic. And we're always upgrading that. We know it can always be better. And if there's something in particular that you're searching for and you're like, Shannon, it's not working for this particular, let us know. Cause it's like a bucket. We keep putting in words and attaching them to videos and, we can't think of everything that you would search. So please let us know. But I will also tell you that we podcast our, our whole show to so many platforms. Uh, any place that we can find that it's free and to you, uh, we don't mind if we have to pay a little bit, but we want it to be free to you. So uh, check us out. We're on all, any place where you get your podcasts, we're there. If you see that for some reason we're not, please reach out to us and tell us Hey, I would prefer it. I, this is where I like to go for my podcast. And Traven is such good morning, Megan. Uh, Traven is such a great, uh, he seeks out and he finds things. So definitely let us know. And you can always write to me at uh, s.penrod at autism-live.com. S.penrod 
at autism-live.com. Look at how good Traven is. He's got it right up there. So um, now the other thing that I want to make clear is that we do the live show and it's an hour. And then we podcast. By the way, can I do a big shout out to all our friends who watch us on BronxNet TV? We love BronxNet TV, <coughs> excuse me, and we air there. If you would like for us to be on your cable access channel, please let us know. We are very happy to give our content to local cable access channels and even curate it for that specific area. So please let us know about that. Uh, but big shout out to those in, in the Bronx. Yes. Uh, and I see that Marilyn has written in a question and Marilyn, I'm going to get to that in just a second. So hang tough with me. We're going to get, we're going to get to your question. I promise you. Um, but I, again, you know, we want to be where people need what we're offering. And our mission here is to provide information and inspiration. We have lots of experts that come and join us on the show. And I always remind you guys, I'm not one of the experts. I do like to remind you that I, I now will say that I have an informed opinion, which I'm always happy to share. I am the mom of an individual who was diagnosed with autism years ago. Uh, I guess we're at 16 years ago now. And I've been hosting journalistic viewpoint shows about autism, interviewing experts for over 13 years. So um, I've interviewed a lot of people. I won't say that I've interviewed everyone because then we would close up the show and be done. But I've, and, and I've been behind the scenes and asked questions that, you know, I can't always get on the air. Uh, hey, Nad, so glad that you're here. Good morning, Michelle, and good morning, Marilyn. We're, you know, I'm getting to your question, Marilyn. Um, so in any case, you know, if you want my opinion about something, you know, I'm very, <laughs> I'm happy always to share my opinion, but I just want to make sure everybody realizes and that I say this often so that you know that I realize that I'm not an expert. Uh, in pretty much anything. Uh, but I do have an informed opinion and I enjoy sharing it. But that's why we have experts that come on the show too. And we can always refer your question out to an expert. Don't ever be afraid to say, hey, I really need an expert point of view on this. And I'll be happy to tootle it off to someone who's in the know. In fact, I'll cherry pick who is in the most know about the subject that you're talking about. Because at this point, we're pretty clear on that. After having you know done the show for this many years, we, we know who the experts are and where they are, right? We've got a beat on them. Uh, we don't know where they live, but we know how to get a hold of them. Uh, okay. So uh, I, I also, at the start of the show, uh, always want to remind you that this show is really meant for the entire autism community and all its beauty and glory. And when I say that, I'm talking about, first of all, People who are on the autism spectrum, they are the beating heart of our community. They, they're center. They're, they're, they're our why. They're, you know, uh, we, we can't be doing anything without them. I, I love that phrase, nothing about us without us. We try to live very close to that here at Autism Live. But I will also tell you that at Autism Live, we believe that the autism community includes all of the people who love those individuals all of the people who care about them and who are fighting for them to have the rights, the dignity, the opportunities that they should have. So when I talk about the entire autism community, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm talking about. I just like to put that out there because I want to be respectful of the fact that I am not a person on the autism spectrum, but I feel very strongly about getting help to that entire community, which includes all kinds of people. Because if you love someone on the autism spectrum, I want to help you because I know you're trying to help someone. Yeah. 
Uh, I hope that makes sense and is uh, clarifies what we're trying to do here. Always with respect. Okay. Um, yes, and uh, Marilyn, I will I will get to that. Uh, yes, ah, yes, yes. It makes sense to me. I think. Uh, okay. So, uh, but I got to do the jargon of the day first, and then we're going to get to questions. And other people can be writing in questions too, because uh, we're going to have a little bit of time here today. And I'm really happy about that. So, uh, we do like to start Mondays with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hand on and honey are those experts talking about? What does this have to do with us? Why do we have to learn this term? Why can't we just? put it in plainer terms, right? We like to make fun. We first, we, we give the actual definition and I poke as much fun of it as I can muster. Then I give you a working definition and I enjoy the fact that the experts break out into hives when I give it. And then we try to put it into practice to give you an example of what it looks like in real life and why it might mean something to you and what it builds towards. Because a lot of times, you know, you could Google some of these things and you could even see a video of it and you go, I don't think I want to do that. I don't know what that has to do, but it's out of context. So I try to give you a context. Yeah. So our term today, and I'm told that this one does not yet exist in our jargon library because, you know, sometimes, you know, we try to do this a different term every day so that it builds up your vocabulary. But sometimes you're at a meeting and they say something and you're like, I don't know what that is. And if you're like me, you know, in the beginning, I would say, hey, what does that mean? And then the next hour, TikTok, while I'm paying, they would explain it to me right? So uh, other times I would take a notebook and I would just write down all the terms that I didn't understand what they were saying so I could look them up later. And um, then you look them up and you're like, ah, I still don't understand. That's why we have our jargon playlist on YouTube. You can go there and go, okay, what does this mean? And I'll, I'll put it in like as basic language as you'll find on the internet. Um, I'm always trying to say, you know, it's that, that thing about, uh, you know, would my grandmother who doesn't understand this understand? Yeah. Okay. So today's term apparently is not in our jargon list and I just can't even believe that, but it will be now. So today we're talking about random rotation. <laughs> doesn't it sound like some wonkinator thing, except it is kind of what it sounds like randomly rotating, but what are we randomly rotating? Let's look at our actual definition and see if we can't make heads nor tails of this random notation. Not notation, rotation. Definition, a procedure used during discriminative training in which the target is interspersed randomly with other targets. Often the other targets have been previously mastered. Well, fabulous. But if you don't know what mastered is, if you don't know what discrimination, discrimination training is, um, you know, on Thursday, we went over what mass trialing is, which is not a trial with judges where you uh, have a million people on trial. We, we talked about that on Thursday. But if you don't know what any of these things are, how exactly is this definition of any use to anyone? It's like, you know, the definition of this is useless to me. So let's talk a little bit about in practice and an example of what this looks like. When we're doing DTT, which is discriminative uh, trial training or teaching, uh, we're trying to take a slice of something that we want someone to learn and we're trying to put it in as clear terms as possible. So often when people look up DTT or DTT procedures, they break out into hives and they go, I would never do this with a child because it looks wonkinator. 
In fact, it looks worse than Wonkinator. It looks stupid. And that is a word I don't like to use, right? But it does. It looks stupid. It's not. Unless that's all you ever do. Imagine if you went ballroom dancing and they had the little shoes on the floor that were one, two, and three, and there was no music playing. And they said to you, okay, I want you to put your left foot on the one and your right foot on the two. And now you're going to put th- you know, this foot on the three and this foot on the four. And that's all you ever learned. You would be like, I'm not dancing and this is stupid. And I don't want to count and look down at the floor. That doesn't lead to good ballroom dancing. Maybe the counting does. Um, right. You would never say that that's teaching ballroom dancing and that's all there is. You teach the steps and you go very slowly and then you go, okay, now we're going to speed it up a little bit. And now we're going to put on music and now we're going to give you a live partner. And now we're going to tell you to have fun. Right. And there's 35,000 steps in between each one of those steps, but that's kind of what it looks like. Right. That's what DTT is. Yeah. Um, And there are steps to DTT, which are not putting the footprints on the floor. There are steps that help us to build to the point where then we go, all right, let's do it in real life. But if all anybody is ever teaching you or your child is DTT, then shame on you. It's step one. It's not what we do forever. And everybody needs to be clear about this. But here's the other thing you need to be clear about. You want to be a ballroom dancer and you go and they go, all right, let's just put on music and let's dance. How good are you going to be at it? You know, maybe you have an innate ability to learn how to dance. Maybe you're somebody who can do it that way, but the rest of us can't. And the truth about folks who are on this autism spectrum and have other, you know, intense learning uh, issues, they weren't just soaking it up, which is why we do DTT so that we put the footprints on the floor and we start simple so that we can speed up, but we never stop with just doing the the feet on the, the numbers on the floor. So what are the numbers on the floor for DTT? And we've been talking about them the last uh, couple of weeks. We've been talking about errorless learning that we give somebody an opportunity not to fail so that they get to the reinforcements. They go, it's worthwhile to work for to work at this. I'm not good at it, but it's worthwhile to work at it because when I do, the good things happen in my life. And then we do mass trialing where we only teach one thing at a time. And we get to the point where someone can be semi-successful at one thing at a time. So today I'm going to have my water bottle and I'm teaching someone, you know, water. And so in the beginning, errorless learning, I say, touch water. They touch the water. Yay, we get to reinforcement. I know it looks stupid, right? But we're building towards ballroom dancing, right? So eventually I'm going to mass trial just water. I'm only going to be teaching water. I'm still doing errorless learning, but I'm going to put in distractors. So I put in my phone and I put in, I've got my little bottle of uh, on guard here. (laughs) So I've got these things and I say, touch water. And the child touches water. The adult touches water. Yay, reinforcement. I rearrange them. And I go, touch water. I'm only doing water. That's mass trialing. Touch water. Boom, right? Yay, every time. I'm only until they get water every single time with no help, no prompting. Great. Now we're saying, you know, and it could be that they get it almost every time, depending on what my mastery criteria is. I know, another jargon term. We'll get to that another day. But they're getting it most of the time right. Now I say, okay, it's time to move on to something else. Now I would never start with water and bone and, you know, oil. (laughs) I would start with things that are 
more important to the child or the person wherever they are where they're learning. But now let's say, because these are my objects that I have, now let's say that I'm going to teach phone, which this would be important to the child, right? Because children, everybody loves a good smartphone, right? So now I teach phone and I'm going to mass trial phone. And I say, touch phone, right? And I do lots of different things besides touch phone. I say, touch phone. And I go, what is it? And they can sign or they can point or they can give me a card that says phone. But I'm teaching the expressive of it too. What is it? It's a phone. Yay. Good job. And, I, and then now I put in my distractors again. And I, um, oh, did I never get to the, the actual definition? <laughs> the actual, the, the, my definition, randomly switching between behavior you're teaching the current target and other behaviors responses the child already knows. I just, I just launched in and started explaining it. So now I've, I, so I've mass trial, I mass trial phone, touch phone. And then I rearrange my stuff and I go touch phone. I'm throwing oil now. Touch, and I rearrange every time and I go touch phone. What is it? It's a phone. Yay. Right. So now I know water and I know phone, but do I really? Now we get into random rotation and this is where we really start to discriminate. So I, I've got the, uh, the water and I've got the phone. And in the beginning, that may be all I have. But later on, I may add something else. I've thrown my oil. So let me add a pen. Um, a lot of times we do a field of three, but sometimes only two. Let's say that I've only got the two. And I say, touch phone. And pers the person touches phone. Yay. What is it? It's a phone. Okay. Now I move them around because I don't want them to be in the same place all the time. And I say, touch water. And what I want them to start to discriminate is phone water. So I'm switching it up. This is random rotation. And it's the place where we want to be because that's where we're really getting to the learning. Now, we don't stop here, right? There's more steps, but then eventually we take this. And eventually, I mean, later on, you know, 12 minutes from now, five minutes from now, we're going to take this and be in the real world. So we might do this 10 times and I go touch water, touch phone, you know, touch phone, touch water. I'm mixing it up every which way. And then it's time to take a break. Maybe we did 10 trials and we did a great, great job. Great job. You earned, we're going to go play and we're going to, we're going to, you know, this, let's say this child loves to run. So we're going to run, we're going to run, 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 run. And now I'm a good uh, behavioral therapist. I'll say, boy, I'm thirsty. And mom has got drinks up on the thing. And I say, what do you want? Uh, and then I hope that the child will point and say water. And then I go, great. What is it? It's water. Now I've taken it to real life. And maybe there was water and there was juice that was up on the counter. What do you want to have? You, you know, and, and maybe I have to prompt them. Do you want the water? Which one is the water? Right? Wherever the child is, I'm going to be able to continue the learning in real life. That's how we get there. But the thing is, is that real life goes fast. And if you miss it in real life, you miss the opportunity to learn. And what DTT does is separate out the moments, helps you to learn so that you can put it into place in real life. That's what good DTT does. And random rotation is a part of that. So our working definition, randomly switching between the behavior you're teaching, the current target, and other behaviors responses the child already knows. So I'm teaching, first I teach water, then I teach phone, bad examples, but still examples. And then I'm going to randomly rotate and they've already mastered the water. And now I'm teaching the phone. It works. This works. That's the thing you need to know is that it works. 
And that someone who's having a difficult time learning something can learn it that much faster when we go through these steps, which again, beginning steps, this is not where we want to end up. So when you watch the video where someone says, touch water, and you go, what? <laughs> I remember saying to somebody, I worked so hard once we found out about ABA for our son, and I was like, all my eggs in that basket. We're going to do ABA. We're going to have this great outcome. And then they came in and they were like, touch car. And I remember saying to someone, shoot me. Are you kidding me? How are, I want him to go to college. How are we going to get to college on touch car? Guess what? It works. It works. We hung in. Somebody showed me, well, this is what we're going to do first. And this is like, you know, this is step one through 32. And then here are the steps after that. And my, you know, my son has been accepted to college. Yes, for the fall of 2021. So I can tell you, you can get to college this way. And I love it. All right. Um, oh, Marilyn, see, you're writing in all these great questions. No, you're not asking too many questions. You're asking all the right questions. This one I'm going to take right now because it kind of goes with our jargon. And she said, can a child be too high functioning for ABA? I'm sorry. So many questions. No, no, no. Never be sorry. Questions are good. No, a child cannot be too high functioning for ABA because ABA is uh, a teaching method. So there is no way to be too high functioning for it. Do you know that Olympic athletes use ABA? It's just a question of where you start. Because if you're, if the individual is someone, it's, it's where you start and what you want to teach. Those are the two things. So if your child is already talking but what they need is perspective taking. We're not going to start with touch water. We may not even need to start with DTT. Um, there are many other teaching methods in ABA, but for kiddos who don't have language, we're definitely going to start with DTT. We're definitely going to start with building their understanding of language that way. But no, you can't be too high functioning for ABA. You want to make sure you're working with the right people who understand where to start and how to start, but it's a bag of tools, a bag of teaching tools. And imagine, you know, like teaching, uh, if somebody's a painter and, um, in the beginning, maybe they use one paintbrush, but then as they get better and more finessed and see things, they, they use all the paintbrushes in the toolkit. And so working with really experienced ABA professionals is key. Uh, and I talk a lot about good quality ABA, but those with the, if, if you have somebody who's really high functioning, that's what you want to look out for. But your insurance company and sometimes school and other professionals will say, you know, but your child is so high functioning, they don't really need ABA. What they're saying is that maybe they don't need to start on page one with the DTT about language, but there are, you. Well, the other question that you asked me about was, can I talk about the online help? So one of the things that I talk about on the show is skills and IBT. So skills is an online curriculum. It's everything that you would want to teach. And there's two different versions of it. There's the version version of it that is for um, people who are birth to probably 12, 13 years old. And then there is the version that is for like 13 and up adults. So there's skills and then there's skills living. And uh, skills living is the one for the older group of folks. And don't be worried because if you have an 18 year old and they're like, but maybe they need the stuff in the early because skills living encompasses everything that was in skills. It just has advanced skills beyond. 
And if you're thinking, well, great, I have an eight-year-old, I'll just take skills living. You don't want to do that. It's too overwhelming. Um, so, and we'll talk more about this in a second, but um, you just to be clear, you cannot be too high functioning for ABA. It would be, it would be like saying that, and this is for people on the spectrum, people off the spectrum. Um, you know, it would be like saying you have nothing left to learn that you're excellent at everything, which is not possible and that you have no room for improvement. Right. Um, so I'm glad you asked that question. Okay. We need to move on to our question of the day. You've got questions for me. I've got questions for you. What's the hardest part of your day? Because I want to look at it from an ABA perspective. Like what, if you just think about it for a second and think, okay, is there a part of the day that you dread or is there a part of the day where you get frustrated? Um, is there a part of the day when it's like, man, I can't catch a break. Um, that's the part of the day that I want to, I want to talk about. So somebody feel free to write in, um, because that's the part of the day that we need to like kind of dial in like on a microscope and go, what's happening here. And what are we setting ourselves up for success? We're really going to look at it with an ABA mindset about how could we change some of the factors here? What would we need to learn to make this moment better? What kind of support would we need to make it better? What would we have to pre prepare beforehand? And what kind of consequences would need to be in place for that to happen? We're going to, you know, <laughs> keep watching things. Like I love the Martian and Matt Damon says, I'm going to science the bleep out of that. And I always say, oh, I'm going to ABA the bleep out of that. Uh, because uh, it works. It works. And um, many of you know, I'm having a, a day where I feel really squishy about my friend, Joanne Lara, who passed away last June. I'm wearing a sweater that one day she came to tape the show and um, I was wearing this sweater and I had several things in my office in case we were filming on a different day or whatever, you know, and she came and whatever she had on was not going to work. I think she wore green and we were shooting on the green screen. And I said, well, let me, you know, let me change my clothes and you can have this. And so she wore this. We have a wonderful interview with her where she wore this. So I always feel squishy and wonderful about her. Um, but, you know, when Joanne passed, she had a lot of animals and she asked me to take one particular animal of hers, Mr. Cheese, uh, who is a lovely little dog. And I have a dog that's Cujo that doesn't get along with anyone. We will never be robbed because my dog is hysterical and, uh, you know, uh, just off the chain. And we've done all kinds of training with her, but that part of her is really long-term change, right? And so with a lot of people's help, including Temple Grand, and I've been working really hard, I'm ABAing the bleep out of these two dogs getting along. And now they lick each other's faces because that's good ABA. I had to put it into practice. Okay. So uh, write in, tell us what the hardest part of your day is. And now moving on to our topic, uh, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on right now. I'm going to try to come back to it uh, later on. But is your heart open? Really briefly, because it has to do with how this show started. I love Oprah. Oh, I love Oprah. Uh, I hope to meet Oprah in this lifetime. Uh, and it would like I would do the ugly, ugly cry. But I love Oprah. And Oprah is like my fairy godmother. There were many times when I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. And I would turn on the television and Oprah, like my son was diagnosed with autism. I turn on the television and she's got Holly Robinson Pete talking about her son having autism. You know, there were just so many times. So I was in a really bad place at one point because I was like, I don't, 
I need to work. We don't have enough money. We were probably, oh my gosh, three and a half years into my son's five years of therapy. And I had put so much time into that. Um, and I started a business which wasn't doing well and it was just really not coping. And we weren't making it financially. We just weren't making it financially. And I, I was just like, oh, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. And I don't, the thing I would cry about endlessly was if I take a job, I'm not going to be available for him and I won't be able to go to IEP meetings and I won't be able to come to the assembly in the middle of the afternoon and I won't be able to be room mother. And I like, ah, I turn on the TV and there is Oprah. And she's interviewing Keith Urban, who at the time I barely knew. I knew he was a country singer. I'm not that into that much country music. Some of it I am, but not all of it. And he was talking to her and he had recently married Nicole Kidman. And she said, talk to me a little bit about that. And he said um, that they went on their first date and that uh, she said to him, um, how is your heart? And he said, how is my heart? What do you mean? And she said, well, is your heart open? And that it made him think about was his heart really and truly open and that it caused a whole bunch of things in his life to change because he realized that there were a bunch of things that his heart had not been open to. And Oprah was talking with him, it's a big emotional moment. And she said, oh, I've realized that thing in life that you can want something and want something and want something. But if your heart isn't truly open to it, it won't ever happen. But the minute your heart is open to something, it all unfolds. And, and she said, oh, I learned that, that trick, that lesson a long time ago. And, and they were sort of having this conversation. And she said, like, you might um, think, you know, I really want this. And in my head, I was thinking, I really want a job a job that pays well, a job that where I can make a difference, a job, like I had this list of, of things that has healthcare and, 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 you know, all of these things. And, and then Oprah was saying, but if your heart isn't truly open to it, if you have one belief that it won't work out, it like trips it up. And I thought, well, I don't have any belief about not having a job right. And then I thought I do. Because every time I think about doing a job, my heart sinks because I think I won't have time for my son. And so she said, and all you have to do is change the equation in your head and say, how would, what would my heart be open to? And anything that your heart is 100% open to can come to pass and often will quickly. So I sat there and I said, my heart is open to working a job that gives me flexibility where I can be with my child that allows me to make a difference in the autism community and that, you know, that I can really get behind but gives me the flexibility to be with my child. And I thought that, and within a half an hour, Dr. Dorian Grampiche called me, which was the first meeting about starting something that ended up being the show. So I ask you today, what is your heart open to? This is something that I, you know, pull out every once in a while and go, wait a second, you know, I'm beating my head against the wall. What is my heart open to? And I have to be honest with you that like sometimes I see that I am in my way. I'm going to tell myself just a, a second here and say that, you know, what I want, what I've worked for, the thing that's been in my mind the whole time we were doing ABA was I wanted my son to be able to go to college and we're there, you know, and now I'm filled with fear. Is he ready? Is it going to be okay? We had a pandemic. Can we afford this? Like, how are we going to do this? 
And it occurred to me in the last week that I got to stop shutting down parts of my heart. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean you change your mind. I can be afraid of all those things, but I have to say, what am I open to? I am, my heart is completely open to my son going to college and having a wonderful experience where, you know, things happen so that we can afford it and that, you know, that it won't be completely in my control. My heart is completely open to that. And I, I look forward to seeing how that all comes to pass. So what is your heart open to? Um, let's, let's see if you can say, what's the sticking point? Just remove that from the equation then. And say, my heart is open. Like, I don't know exactly how we're going to afford all of it. But my heart is open to seeing how we can. Um, So that's all I have to do today. Uh, Okay. Now, um, let's start to get to some questions here. So I need help because my 11-year-old Aspie is always blamed when something goes awry when interacting with NT kids. He isn't able to be vindictive or offensive, so he gets blamed because he's different. How do I help him at these times? (sighs) That's a big one. Um, So uh, I certainly have had this happen many times in my life. And I guess my follow-up question for you is, is is it happening in a specific place and a specific time with specific people? Because if it's happening at school, then what you what you need to do is uh, is a little bit different than if it's happening at your best friend's house. Let's say that. So what what we need to do is get other eyes on the situation. And sometimes that means that you're there and that you're watching. Sometimes it means that you hire someone to watch. Sometimes it means that you ask the school to watch. And sometimes for some parents, it is meant doing something that isn't entirely legal. So I can't advise you to do this, but parents have sent a tape recorder or a nanny cam in their children's backpacks and they've, you know, gotten into trouble for it. I, I, again, I cannot advise you to do that, but I can tell you that if I thought that my child was being repeatedly bullied or harmed, there would be, you know, I would do everything I could to make sure that I could identify, I would, I would do everything I could to make it stop. For instance, if my child was being bullied and I even, you know, once tried to go through the channels, I I just want to say to parents, don't be afraid to pull your children out of whatever situation they're in right? I think it's worthwhile to work on some things, but if you think it's happening repeatedly, you know, because if it's happening with friends, I would say, don't be with those friends so much. And let's go work on working how to advocate for themselves and, and do those kinds of things. So, but if it's school, that's harder. But um, if you see that someone is doing this to your child, because there's nothing worse than being accused of something and because something that isn't your fault and using the fact are quote unquote different as the excuse for why it is your fault. That's really, um, there's a term for that. I don't like the term, but, um, they, they call that handicap harassment. Um, so none of this, none of those is okay. So I don't, did you tell me where, um, let me go over here to my chat to see if you told me where it's happening. Um, everything has shut down in my life here. Um, hang on. Let's see. Um, I don't see where you told me where it's happening, Marilyn. 
Um, so tell me, give me an example, or is it happening in all of those places? Because I will tell you that ABA can teach your child a bunch of skills. So for instance, uh, let's say that um, your child's sitting in this, and your child's 11. So let's take an, I was going to say sitting in the sandbag, uh, sandbox, but kids are uh, at 11 aren't sitting in the sandbox. But let's say that your child is walking and somebody trips him. And so he gets up and shoves them and everybody goes, oh, he shoved, right? But we know that the instigating thing was that somebody tripped him. And we know that there are some pretty customers at school that will do it just to get somebody in trouble, right? So what we do is we teach your child what to say when that happens. So if somebody he goes, hey, why did you trip me? Oh, I'm hurt. Which means the teacher comes over. Now he's laying on the ground. He's going to be the one that gets the attention and the teacher's going to go, who tripped him? And then it becomes a different conversation. Sometimes our kids need to be taught that phrase and be told that's the way that you alert the authority in, in the room. The police officer, the teacher, the aide is that somebody does something. You go, Hey, don't pinch me and you uh, vocalize it. Now, if he's not vocal, uh, verbal, then we would have other things that we would do. But we got to walk through that and rehearse that and have him get to the reinforcer, which is that he's not the person at blame because otherwise he feels that he's got to defend himself. It is a form of defense if there are problems. Um, good morning to Christina. So, uh, Marilyn, does that make sense? I would love to know where, if you write and tell me where I'll come back to that. Uh, and I, I was going to talk with you about skills and IBT. So skills is the online curriculum skills. You can go to skillsforautism.com. And, um, I would tell you to call the phone number. Do we have the phone number, Traven, for skills? Because anything that you want to do on skills, you can get a 10% discount. Call 877-975-4559. Excuse me. Tell them that Shannon sent you, that you watch Autism Live and you want the friends and family discount. Now, IBT is the Institute for Behavioral Training and its videos that teach you how to do all kinds of things that are ABA related and behavior related. So it's www.ibehavioraltraining.com. Every week they offer free things for caregivers, for teachers. Um, and by the way, you can still call the skills and IBT now have, have um, like meshed together. I don't really know how that works, but they work together now. So you can still call the skills number if you want to put that back up there, Traven. I should have it memorized by now, but I don't. Um, so it's 877-975-4559. If you call that number and say, hey, I want to know about skills, but I also, can I be hooked up with the free IBT trainings for this week? Um, and they will hook you up. And, uh, and if you really want to do something powerful for yourself and for the world and your child, ask them about the RBT training, the registered behavior training. It's a 40 hour course. It's normally like $450 to take the course. Um, if you are a caregiver, a parent of an individual who's on the spectrum and you really are motivated to do a 40 hour class, they, you know, on case by case basis, they will gift you that training during COVID. So I encourage you for those of you who want to do that 
4559 tell them Shannon sent you. Um, and as Amanda said, they also have a BIP builder as part of skills. That's a behavior intervention plan. It starts with something called the CIFA, which is the card indirect functional assessment. We talk all the time on the show about what's the function, 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 what's the function of the behavior. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know what the function of the behavior is. And you know, we're not board certified behavior analysts. But what the CIFA does is a list of questions that'll ask you, does this behavior happen when they're alone? Do they, what happened, you know, do they get a reward after the behavior that you ask? You answer all these questions, it's like 22 questions. And then it gives you a readout and it says, it appears the function of this behavior is this, which means that these interventions would work the best. So cool. So cool. By the way, you can uh, talk to your school about getting this so that the people who work with your child can also have access to this. Um, Marilyn says, bedtime is the hardest time because my child actually does not sleep. He can stay awake for more than 24 hours. You know, Marilyn, that's rough. That is a really rough set of circumstances. And I will tell you that sleep, our children sleeping is like ground zero, right? Because if our kids aren't sleeping, we aren't sleeping and our ability to cope goes where? Out the window. Um, so I, I would encourage you to really look at that at 11. That's a great time to talk to um, your pediatrician and get a referral for a neurologist and to do an overnight, um, what do they call it? The When they monitor everything overnight. Um, you want to make sure that there's no sleep apnea. You also want to make sure that there's no subclinical seizures. Now I know nobody wants to talk about this. And every time that Lisa Ackerman has come on our show, she's the founder of TACA, the Autism Community in Action. She always says, oh, before they, you know, before or right as they're hitting puberty, we should really take every single kiddo to get one of these overnights where they, you know, are monitoring their brain. What is that called? Uh, you know what I'm talking about though. Um, because they need to have a baseline. Is it an EEG? Yeah, I think it is. Um, they need to have a baseline because a significant proportion, a significant portion of our population will have seizures later on in life. And it's really helpful when they have a baseline, uh, one of these tests. And, uh, you may find that he's having little tiny seizures and that's what's keeping him awake. Now, I know that would seem like it would be bad news, but if that is in fact the case, you would want to know at 11 so that you could put a certain amount of things in place and then it would take care of it, right? Uh, and he would go into puberty and it would be safer. I, I just can't even tell you uh, how important that could end up being. But he may have sleep apnea. When you have sleep apnea, you're not breathing and you will wake yourself up. Uh, but there are easy fixes to all of these things, but thinking that it's going to get better as he gets into puberty, I got to tell you, I don't know anybody who could tell you that tale. So I would encourage you to go to your pediatrician and say, my child is not sleeping. If he's already on medications, I would look at that. I, I will tell you that on Wednesdays when we have Dr. Grampy-Shea here and people write in and say, you know, my child isn't sleeping and is having anxiety. Those are the two top things that people will write in and say, and they'll say, and he's on this, this, this. And then she'll say, did you know that that medicine causes anxiety and causes you not to sleep? 
So I think it's super important to look at all the medicines that he may be on and under that lens and say, is this part of what's happening? Um, okay. Yeah, you could do a sleep study, um, but there's also the thing where they do the brain waves where they can see, I don't know if a sleep study can see if they're having subclinical um, seizures. You definitely, it's not just a sleep study. You want to talk to the neurologist and rule out seizures, honestly. And, I, and I'm just going to tell you this because I, I think it's important. Um, I have a good friend and both of us were told by Lisa Ackerman when our boys were younger, do this overnight. And they can do it now in some places like here in LA, they have a truck that comes to your house. They put this cap on your kids. Cause I was like, how do you get a kid to do this? Right. They put a cap on your kid's head and they sleep in their own bed. And from the truck outside the house, they monitor their brainwaves. You know, um, I, I know they don't have it everywhere, but, um, ask, you, they might have it where you live too. So, um, but anyway, both of us were like, you know, with everything else we're trying to get our kids to do, like, we're really going to, you know, have them hooked up to little wires and sleep overnight someplace. Like, you know, this just did not make sense to me. And it did not make sense to the other person that I was sitting with. Now, you know, knock on wood, my son has shown no signs of seizures. My friend, her child has had a total of three seizures so far, um, did not start having them until he was 16. And in two of them, he stopped breathing. And, you know, we all wish that we'd gone and gotten the baseline EEG. Thank you. Uh, yep, they can do a, a two, three EEG at home. We got one done. Yes. And I know you don't live in LA, so that's wonderful. That's what it is, the EEG. Um, so I, I do want to encourage you. 11 year old who's not sleeping, that's a worthwhile endeavor to get one of those, um, to make sure. And the good news is, is that if it comes back and it says there are no, there's no seizure activity, you go, woohoo. Right. Um, and you proceed with other things, but if it is happening, then there are things that you could do that could make a big, big difference. Um, okay. Somebody, uh, and bedtime is going to be miserable if your child doesn't sleep, that's absolutely, I mean, like how, how could it not be? I do encourage you to make their bed and their bedroom a nest. You want to make sure that there aren't a lot of things to do in there, but give them, I talked about this the other day, get some sort of a light, uh, light or a thing that has light and sound and has a remote and, and tell them that, you know, they have to be in their bed, but they can play with that. You just don't want to like give them a switch or some sort of video game because they will never sleep. That's too exciting. The light is meant to help them to go to sleep, but there's not enough reinforcement to keep them awake, but there might be enough to keep them in their bed. Um, okay. Uh, Desiree says that morning time is her worst time because my 19 year old doesn't want to get up. Well, you know, the thing, here's the good news about that is that that is age appropriate. I don't know many 19 year olds that hit the floor in the morning and go, wow, I'm ready to go. Um, but uh, there are some things that we can do to help a 19 year old to be able to get up in the morning. And some of it is going to sleep earlier, which means exhausting them during the day. Um, and also having certain treats that only happen in the morning. Um, for instance, a lot of our kiddos, teenagers are really addicted to their coffee which, you know, is going to keep them up at night and then cause them to sleep later in the morning. 
But if we have the rule in our house that coffee is only available between this hour and this hour, and it's early, it's like eight and nine 15. That is the only time that coffee is available and you get the kind of coffee that they super duper love. And this is our morning ritual, which is very exciting. And I would say to you, be realistic about like, what time does your 19 year old really have to be up? Um, you know, I, I have a 17 and a half year old and I was saying to somebody the other day, I, to a certain amount, I've given ground up. Um, I, do, I don't think he's going to be a seven o'clock in the morning person anytime soon. I used to teach college. They don't offer a lot of classes at, at before eight o'clock in the morning, right? In fact, most classes that are the most popular classes at college start after 10 o'clock. In COVID, my son's school doesn't start teaching until 10 a.m., which I think is crazy, but it's great because I don't have to fight that battle. Although, I mean, you know, there are days when it's tough to get him in front of the computer before 10 o'clock. I have to have him there in front of the computer before we start the show. <laughs> you know, and it's some days it's pulling teeth. I think that's the teen experience um, to a certain extent. So, you know what they always say about, you know, pick your battles, pick your battles. Uh, so what time does your 19 year old really have to be up and what reinforcing thing can you make happen a half an hour before that, that only happens then. Today is a great example. I was almost late getting on the show because I had promised my child yesterday that I said, what are you, you know, what are you missing? What would you like? What can I order? Because whenever I'm putting in a grocery order, these are the questions I ask. And he said, I'd really, I'm, I'd like some pancakes. And I said, tomorrow, breakfast, pancakes. But this morning I went in and said, have to do a live show. If you want pancakes, you got to be dressed and downstairs by this and so time. And um, we got the pancakes in. Uh, okay. Um, Brenda says, bedtime, doesn't want to sleep alone, appears to be separation anxiety, seven years old. Yeah, well, you know, I got to say, I, I love when people uh, give the example and they say, you know, for most of us that are adults, we don't want to sleep alone either. Isn't that the truth? Um I mean, there are some people who prefer to sleep alone. And, and at this point in my life, it's like, if I get the bed alone for a period of time, it's like, Ooh, that's fabulous. But I don't want it for very long. Um, you know, I, I have friends who've recently lost their husbands and they're like, it's just like, it's horrible. You know, you're used to having a per, you know, another person breathing in the bed with you. And there's a comfort to that. And, and in our society, we choose to take our youngest, most vulnerable, and we say to them, yeah, you got to sleep alone. The rest of us like to sleep with other people, but you, you have to sleep alone. So I always like to start from a point, you know, a perspective about like, you know, how do we sell that uh, when we don't want it? How do you sell you have to sleep alone? And I go back to, you got to make it a nest. You got to make it reinforcing. Uh, my niece was telling me yesterday about a blog post that she was reading that a woman said, why don't people love to go to bed? Bed is like the most fabulous. I love to be in my bed. It's cold and it's raining out. I love to be in my bed. And, you know, you got to stop and think about what would make it so that this person loved to be in bed. Like, you know, are the sheets super duper soft? Is the bedspread something that makes your kiddo happy? Are the pillows super wonderful? What's on the walls? What are the sounds that they hear? What are the smells that they smell? 
and you know you really tear it down to a sensory experience and make sure that their bed is the sensory experience it might mean getting them a body pillow cuz maybe it's that feeling of of being squished that they really love you know they have those really long they're longer than king size pillows they're body pillows and kids love to hold them um, it might mean, you know, getting them uh, a weighted blanket uh, because some kids like that pressure. And then the weighted blanket is only on their bed. It's never on your bed. Um, but really making bedtime a unique and fabulous thing. With a seven-year-old too, you know, I think some sort of a nightlight again that they have the remote control for. Check out Uncle Milton. They have so many of these toys um, that I just love. We used to feature them on the show. I don't know why we haven't in a long time, but they have everything under the sun, something that your kiddo would be excited. And some of them play music. Some of them play ocean sounds. Some of them project light when it's an older kid, they have, you know, things that are, um, that look like jellyfish. We put some in the, the toy guide this year that's online on our, on our site for the older kids, look under the adult and you'll see, um, there's stuff that projects things on the ceiling. Um, you make it that sensory cocoon for them and, and just don't, the bedroom is not the place to have toys. I know we all thought that was a thing. It's not, um, but it's a place that's about being safe and feeling cocooned um, and, and help them to pick out the stuff if you have to paint, whatever. But then the other thing with a seven-year-old, because there's the separation anxiety is there's nothing to say that you can't go in there and be there with them. And one of the things that we've had Dr. Grampy Shea talk about before is that if you like, for instance, maybe you find that where the baseline is right now is that he'll stay in his room all night, but you have to go in and lay on the bed with him and read to him. And there have to be lights on the ceiling that get turned off after a period of time. But you're all cocoony with him. And then he goes to sleep. And then you inch by inch, pull yourself out. And that gets in through the night. Okay, that's our baseline. And then every night, we either want to change how long you're there or um, how close you get so that eventually, you know, Dr. Rampiche is like, put a cot next to his bed if you have to, to keep him there all night long. And, you know, you can hold hands all night long. And then eventually, you know, it's just you sleeping on the cot and then you move the cot every night an inch further until the cot's in the doorway and then it's out the doorway. And that sounds crazy, and, and that what works about it is how small you move the cot. You don't move it a foot, you move it an inch. And if he can't sleep, you go back to the last place where it worked and then you go a little bit slower. Now maybe you need to move it a centimeter or a millimeter, but in a year, the cot will be out of the bedroom. And that's really what you're going for. If I could promise you that by the time he's eight and a half, you don't have to do this anymore. I think you'd be like, all right, what do I have to do? Uh, it would be better if it was just like something that happened overnight. And it might, but I'm just saying go, there's nothing wrong with going slow. Good morning, Christina. Um, ba -ba 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 -ba. Christina says, we co-sleep with my five-year-old, but my husband wants me in our bed, but I want my bed full of my dogs and with my son. Yeah, well, you know, um, and I'm not an expert in marriage advice, but 
maybe there's a way to split the difference. I know a lot of people that have this issue. I, you know, I promised myself when people would talk about co-sleeping and I was like, well, that won't be me. I'm, you know, I'm petrified. I'll roll over on a baby. That won't be me. And then we co-slept. I was the worst of the worst. Right. But I loved it. I love the feeling of all of us being in the bed together. I love the closeness with my child. I love knowing I slept better knowing he was there with us. Um, but you know, that's not sustainable. Um, but you know, he's 17 and a half and no longer sleeps in our room and that's, and no longer sleeps in our bed. And we got there without tears, without hysteria, um, on anybody's part, including mine. And I used to have dog, my dog slept in my bed. We no longer have a dog that sleeps in our bed. Um, there were just too many people, but you know, you design your life how you want it, but you also have to listen to your spouse and maybe, you know, there's two nights a week when you say there are no dogs and no children in our bed um, and see if that works for your husband. Uh, uh, my son some nights had to sleep in a weighted vest. And I, you know, be careful because with all of the weighted things, we want to make sure that the rating on them is safe and that we're using them by the manufacturer's warnings um, so that we make sure that nothing bad happens. Yeah. Uh, good morning to Steph and to Brenda. Uh, okay. And Amanda says we got a bubble tube with fish glowing lights and gives off that white noise. The girls love their big girl room. I think, you know, it, it really, it's gotta be a collaborative effort. And thank you for that, Amanda. And she, uh, by the way, put the link on Facebook to the bubble tube with the fish and the glowing lights. I think, you know, everybody's, uh, different. But if, if it's just like the dinner thing too, when people say to me, you know, I can't get my kids to eat vegetables and I, and I, and I'm like, okay, but if, if they were a part of a growing the vegetables, picking the vegetables, preparing the vegetables, they would be more likely to do it. Right. And, you know, gardening may not be your thing. Okay. I get it. But involving your kid in whatever the thing is that you're wanting them to do, I think is key. So, it, you know, you can sit down on Amazon and go through and go, hey, you know, do you like this one or do you like that one? And have them or have the paint colors there and say, you know, and hold it up to the wall and say, do you like this one or do you like that one? You can get the little sample paints and paint it on the wall and have them point and have them paint on the wall. And then they'll take a little bit more pride in it and it will be their room. But we want to make it full on cocoon. I love that you're calling it the big girl room. I absolutely love that. Okay, we're out of time. And I'm sorry that we're out of time. I hope we got to everybody's questions and that we addressed everything. Uh, I'm just going back through the questions to see if I missed anything. Okay, I think we got to everything. I'm so thrilled that you guys are here with us today. Let me remind you that tomorrow it's Temple Grandin Tuesday, and we're going to show a, a recording of an interview that we've done before with her, but you know. It's always good. Then I'm told that we do have Dr. Grampiche on Wednesday and she'll be answering your questions live. Know that you can send those in at any point, including on autism-live.com on the chat. Uh, that's usually where I get the starter questions from. Um, but you can also email me as well and sending you hugs as well too, to both Brenda and to Christina. Um, 
On Thursday, we have a wonderful uh, interview we're going to be doing with a, a new uh, product called My Hannah that I think you guys are going to really love. And um, and then on Friday, I believe we're going to be talking with an expert in EFT tapping for autism. This is that thing that I was talking about last week that really can help to reduce anxiety and to help with trauma. So we're uh, we're sorting out which expert. Uh, is they're so helpful. These EFT people, they're, they're like, well, I could do it, but I really think this person would be better. So we're sorting out who is going to be here with us on Friday, but looking forward to that. And I'm just uh, really quickly, Nad wrote in right at the last minute here, Nad, uh, is biomedical treatment, does it work? Um, and it depends. It depends on what the biomedical treatment is, and it depends on what the desired effect is, and it depends on the ecosystem of the person. But um, you know, obviously there are some biomedical treatments that treat certain symptoms um, and that are really helpful there, but everybody is different. And so to carte blanche say, you know, like for instance, um, the gluten-free casein-free diet is considered a biomedical treatment. And for some kiddos, uh, for my son, it was great and helped him and still helps him. Other kiddos, absolutely no effect whatsoever. So it's not a one size fits all ever. It, it, that's like saying, do this, does the stuff in the pharmacy work? Sure, for the right person, the right amount on the right day for the right effect, but you wouldn't walk into a pharmacy and just take it all, right? Everybody is different. Everybody is an individual. We all require different things. So, uh, you know, um, oh, uh, okay. I don't want to leave this because somebody wrote in and said, my husband think, thinks he caused our son's autism. Uh, it's hard on him. Every single caregiver I have ever met, if you sit down and talk with them long enough, will say to you that, that this is their deepest fear, that they did something or something in their DNA is what caused their child's autism. And I got to tell you, you know, like there's a whole place you can go down the rabbit hole there about trying to figure out if that's true. And, you know, I don't know what the answer to that is, but I can tell you we've all felt it in some way and somehow. Um, but while you're in that space, you're not dealing with what is. It is. You can't change it. There's no time machine currently that can have you go back in time and, and do things differently. This is what is. And I made a choice many years ago to say, I'm, I'm letting that go. I don't, I don't know what, if I'm ever going to know what, why my son has autism. I don't know if I'm ever going to know that. And I don't know whether it, it's a partially something that I did or didn't do. I've left that behind. It's not, I'm not interested in that anymore to, to perfect this, but I'm more interested in what's happening now? What does he need right now? And at a certain point when he was doing really well, that turned into what can I help you with? What can I help you to figure out that may or may not be different from what I figured out? But I just, I will tell you, it's like picking in a bruise and, and just like digging into a bruise. It's not, there's nothing there. There's nothing there that's of any use to anyone. So I'm sending you a hug. I'm sending your husband a hug. And I will tell you, um, go do something. Go do something positive. Let the thought be there and go do something positive. 
Um, and you'll see that doing the positive makes you feel better than marinating in the thought. All right. I love you all. It's such a privilege to be here with you on this journey with all of you. Many kisses. Give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for watching Autism Live. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.